You're listening to The Dollop. This is a... <laughs> Sounds investigative. Bi-weekly American history podcast. Each week, I... Homeowner. Oh, boy. Basketball hoop. What? Net fitter. That's a thing. Yeah. Well, Barbecuer. <laughs> Dave Anthony reads a story from American history to a guy he met on the street. <laughs> this is hurting now. And because we did him in the opposite order, this will be quite a dip. Uh, Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. That's your name? Gareth Reynolds, yep. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's the I lady who named me right there. I always got a, forget Got beef with her? That is your mother. Yeah. And That's have, why she's here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that you, we keep the name thing in line. I'm starting to. Yeah, how do you how do you feel about the name Gary? Um, well, I think I think it's quite nice, Gareth. I don't really like Gary as much. We actually call him Garfy. Mum. <laughs> Mother. <laughs> uh, in my head. When you were approaching the microphone, I was like, I think we're not going to tap into that. But but then, well, Mother got the laugh of the episode. And sometimes we put little in front of it. All right. Mother, Mother, have a seat. Have a seat. Have a seat. Have a seat. Sit down now. Sit down. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well. Oh, boy. Oh, Mom. The best. That's a big one. God, you want to look at a dude? I'll do one bottle. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Gera. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are there. Queen Fakey of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> Nineteen sixteen. Okay, let's pick up from where we left off last week. Yeah. So part two. Part two of the opioid dollops. Right. Yep. Now two professors, and we're not going to get into the bear bear gate because I think we're above it. Unlike some people. Well, people, people, particularly one one German in Australia was very, very upset. At some people were. And some I, people I, were. So I just posted a commercial from Bear. And that's how they say it. It here. sounds very close. I it just didn't know what. Similar. I just didn't know what. You got thrown off because they did have a bear well, on that, their and that's bottle. I, well, and so I you thought, got thrown off by that. I thought I really, yeah. I I I think we're both right, and um, I appreciate uh, the uh, asshole who uh, said that I was really dumb for it. Yeah, there's good, he can there's just always, stop commenting and posting. There's always some great people that come out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two professors. At the University of Frankfurt, which so is so exactly Germany. where we are now is like so heroin the, has just uh, heroin has been legalized to some extent, well, heroin, used heroin, on babies, right? So so heroin at this point is still legalized, but it's it's really been knocked back by by doctors who have been seeing the progression of of addiction and people learning about it. So heroin is not. Is popular. People are scared of becoming addicted. Right. But but so, it, uh, for a moment there, it was basically like being prescribed like Viagra. Yeah. For for a few years, it was everybody was doing it. Right. All the time for everything. Right. But that's kind of waned. And now there's 
pushback. Anti-drug laws are happening. Right. And, and because, so yes. I think it's 20, uh, 24 is when they passed the big overwhelming drug law, which okay. just puts the kibosh on everything. Okay. So uh, in 1962, professors at the University of Frankfurt in Germany synthesized oxycodone. Oh, uh, I really thought you were going to just say played the synth. <laughs> yeah, they should take us on the road sometime, huh? Yeah, that was both of us. This is, this one's about the the flock of seagulls. This is Kraftwerk. They... This is where Kraftwerk started. This was just a couple of uh, years after the German pharmaceutical company Bayer uh, had stopped mass producing heroin. Yeah, had stopped mass producing heroin because the public uh, was worried about addiction. Okay, oxycodone was created as a solution with the hope. It would have the effects of morphine and heroin with less downside dependence, less dependence, okay. less addiction possibilities, sure. less nodding and off. As we know, during this, your, your this, soup this comes true, as we know. Yes, no, yeah. Uh, oxycodone is a semi-synthetic opioid that comes from the poppy plant, so it's semi-synthetic. So, in order to get away from the poppy, we just keep finding new ways to split the poppy. Well, they're like, why don't we create? It's something exactly like the poppy that's not the poppy. <laughs> this, I mean, is this a Seinfeld bit? It, a little bit. Well, and, you got to have the poppy. You, oh, God, no, do it. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then Kramer runs in. <laughs> oh, I'm hooked on poppies. <laughs> in 1938, Congress passed the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, which uh, is one of your favorites. I've always been a fan of that because of the cosmetic part. Yeah. Finally. Uh, it gave authority for Sephora to run California. So. <laughs> No, that's not right. Okay, what? It gave authority. I was like, this is taking a weird little bend. Did you not know that for five years, Sephora ran California? Time to lotion! Everyone! <laughs> lotion! It gave authority to the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, to oversee the safety of food, cosmetics, and drugs. This is a, uh, this, no matter how it goes to begin with, it's terrible. <laughs> drugs now needed to be proven safe to be sold. So that uh, so that so this is a time when people had faith in the FDA. Yeah. Right. Still nope. No. Uh though many opioid medicines already being sold were still allowed to be used by doctors, oxycodone was introduced to the US in 1939 and approved for cancer patients. So now we have oxycodone in 1939. Okay. It was also used for terminally ill patients. So you got cancer, you're dying, yeah. you can get some oxycodone. Yeah. But for many years, doctors were hesitant to prescribe opioids to chronic non-cancer pain patients because of the fear of addiction. Yeah. I mean, basically, so the doctors were being logical. Yes. The doctors are like, well, this sounds and, really troubling. And the companies and are pushing. Companies are companies. Yeah. Although Bayer... Did not... Well, we'll see. In 1952, brothers Arthur Raymond and Mortimer... Uh, this is adorable. Well, but if you ever have a guy named Mortimer in your family... Yeah. You're evil. Ah, man, I really... That is a name to keep in your back pocket. No, <laughs> you should... A, there's going to be either an animal... I'm going to have a pig named Mortimer is what I'm saying. If you should, if you ever have someone named Mortimer, there should be like just crows flying around them all the time. Oh, I see. And, I see Mortimer way more... Little bow ties, thick rim glasses, and I'm still talking about the pig. Okay. <laughs> like a little graduation cap like they put on owls in the cartoons, remember? <laughs> owls, the studious owl. Yeah, he's a good one. Yeah. So the the Sackler brothers, that was the name of them, three of them, oh, wow. they bought Purdue Pharma. Oh, boy. 
All were never a good name to hear dropped in the mix. Nope. All three were psychiatrists, and Arthur was a member of a small New York advertising firm. So it's always a good combination. Terrible. So to have a psychiatrist this, this and an the, ad man. Uh, totally. This what could is go wrong? The perfect storm. Yeah. What could go wrong? Oh, I found a number of flaws. Well, I've got a jingle to work around them. <laughs> he was also uh, a, a pioneer in medical advertising. Okay. Arthur was behind Valium becoming the first drug to hit $100 million in revenue. Wow. Killing it. He was also one of the first medical advertisers to develop relationships with doctors. This is so, it is so weird to hear the start. I mean, it really is you, crazy. You don't know where this is going. Uh, yeah, I kind of do. This model of back scratching with doctors, hoping to get paid back in drug sales, is now the model for the entire drug marketing industry. So this guy, so you, this guy did it. Okay. This guy said it. This one guy. That was my point to you. And I'll get He's, to this later, but we should kill all ad people. But well, that's we're going to get to that. But all all ad the 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 thing we're going to get so our you, listeners. You to subscribe do. to the Hicksian <laughs> philosophy. If you work in advertising, <laughs> just kill yourself. <laughs> Purdue Pharma introduced MS Contin. MS Contin, uh, a time release morphine opioid. They're just having for fun. cancer patients. It's so, like Dorito so flavors. It's, it's morphine. With this special time release thing that it has never had before right. for cancer patients. So it's a capsule now that'll slow, it's a slower Slowly, release. Yeah. Right. Uh, because it could be crushed and snorted, hmm? uh, which obviously is great for people who yeah, enjoy that I'm, sort of uh, thing. Yeah, I'm not in the mood to wait around for the time release. Kind of looking for one big punch to the gut, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so it started to be abused. Wait. Shocking. Though Purdue was not as concerned about that as nope. much as worried that their patent would soon expire. Okay, so they're they're focused on the right things. Yeah. Executives anticipated a massive loss, loss of revenue, according to internal company correspondence. Okay. So Purdue needed a new moneymaker. Oh, boy. They needed In a, a 1990 memo, the VP of clinical research wrote, quote, MS Contin may eventually face such serious generic competition that other controlled released opioids must be considered. So, <laughs> so, they gotta, so really, they just need to diversify because they're going to be copied so clearly. Yeah, so now they need to create newer... Everyone else is going to come out with their version of MS Contin, and so they got to be like, well, you got to get another kind of opioid going up in this yeah. bitch. We'll, call, we'll come up with the crushing snorts. <laughs> that seems to be a market that we're not legally dipping into. <laughs> So, the VP decided to use an old, cheap narcotic, oxycodone. Oh, boy. It controlled pain for up to six hours. They added their patented time-release Contin, the estimated oxycontin time that it would be, you know, work, 12 hours. Right. So, that's their estimate. I mean, they, I, the, and these, I mean, these are, that, because that's really what they are, is they are heroin. <laughs> Yes, it's time, it's time release like, heroin right. in your body. And now, so again, there's just the legal route to get heroin out. <laughs> Sales and marketing reps got together in March 1995 to start planning the rollout. Ugh, the Chief worst. executive, quote, Oxycontin can cure the vulnerability of the generic threat. And that is why it is so crucial that we devote our fullest efforts now to a successful launch of OxyContin. That's internal. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, you don't come out with, you know, that's, not, <laughs> that's not your unveiling speech when you're in front of a yacht with champagne. 
And the reason for this is the people need it, because otherwise the generic ones will also be taking money from us. But you could say that at, at Wall Street when you're ringing the bell, right? Like that, there they'd be like, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. But the problem is they film some of those. Oh, true. Every now and then. So the first patients to use OxyContin were women recuperating from abdominal and gynecological surgery at two hospitals in Puerto Rico in 1989. Okay. I mean, this is... Okay. This feels like the beginning of, like, an 80s Stallone movie. (laughs) (laughs) More than a third of the women started complaining about pain in the first eight hours and half required more medication before the 12-hour mark came. Okay, so they haven't made a strong enough drug. Is well, it's strong, but it's not time. It's not it's time. It's not twelve release. hours. Oh, yeah. The study concluded oxycontin was safe, relieved pain, and lasted longer than shorter-acting painkillers. Okay, so, so it's, it's better. It's, it is lasting longer, but not, best. but not the twelve. Right. Okay. In a 1992 submission to the patent office, Purdue said oxycontin controlled pain for twelve hours in approximately ninety percent of patients. Now, what's wrong? How did they get that hmm? number? What? They've tested it on how many people? Well, they tested on a few more. So, like, five people? They did a few tests, but let's just say none of them This really is like in toothbrush commercials that, when it's like the three out of five dentists? Kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like that. They kind of making it up a little bit. A little fudgery going on. A little Uh So... Purdue conducted more clinical trials and study after study. We need more pregnant women. Because I think once you submit for a patent to the FDA, then you still have to do more trials to to prove what you're saying is true. Yes. No, the trial process is really, really vigorous to get to market. Uh, And study after study, many patients given OxyContin every 12 hours would ask for more medication before the next scheduled dose. Okay. I and I this is terrible, but honestly, if you're signing up for one of these like clinical drug tests, this is probably the one you want to hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, every 12 hours. Do you want more heroin? Yeah, I'll take a little more. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll take some more, sure. 12 hours later? Yeah, I'll take take a little more. Yeah, that's good, that's good. I'll take a little more, sure. Have you you ever been on morphine or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really tremendous. I love pills. Hi, Mom. I love me pills. Well, I did it in the hospital. I did it as... as no, I've, been, I've definitely I, been on I, hardcore. They gave me a little thing that I would press, and I would give it to myself. It would be like, ding, ding, ding. And so I just... You're, I, you're, I you're surgery. doing Jeopardy thumb right now, which well, I don't Well, I had know. surgery. I was literally just like, bingity, bingity, bing. And the doctor came so in. So the he's surgery like, went great. Uh, your husband killed himself from self-morphine. <laughs> well, they only, it only allows you to I know. They put a limit on it. So the doctor comes in and he goes, are you in a lot of pain? I was like, no. No, he's but... Like, All right, cut it, cut it. I want to make sure that I need to see my degree, I, officer. I, I like you. Yeah. <laughs> we are friends. So... Um, potent. Very potent. A Tennessee pain specialist testing the drug in 1995 as part of the FDA approval process moved eight of his 15 patients to eight-hour dosing because they were not getting adequate pain relief over the 12 hours. Okay. This led to a letter from Purdue's medical director, quote, The situation concerns me as OxyContin has been developed for 12-hour dosing. I request that you not use an eight-hour dosing regimen. So his his gripe is that he this guy this person is finding the flaw that they already know basically exists, right? Mm-hmm. And he's just sort of saying like I'd like it if you weren't reacting how you would react honestly to this situation. Yeah, he's saying that you should it should be for 12 hours because that's how they're going to market it. Right. So okay, so okay. <laughs> 
fair. This is how most... When the numbers don't work for you, this... I mean, yeah, this is the Enroning of your drugs. <laughs> it's called uh, future pain relief. Yeah, you save it. Maybe four years down the line, you get another four hours, yeah. Here's the thing about narcotic painkillers. They work differently in different people. Some drug companies recommend doctors adjust the frequency with which patients take the drugs depending on the individual's response. Okay. So, so the, basically doctoring. Right. As opposed yes, instead, to... Instead of just being like, this works 12 hours for everybody. It you're doesn't like, work for me. It does. Yeah. But then you, you basically your doctor would be like, you need it every eight hours. Right. You need it every 10. So not Purdue. Despite the results of the clinical trials, Purdue did not test oxy at more infrequent intervals. So they never tested it. They oh, they just said 12 hours. They never did a test for under 12 hours. They never found, they never went like, maybe this would be better at nine hours right. or eight hours. They just did 12 hours. They, well, yeah, I mean, they'd all gotten the 12 tattoo at And they probably, point. and they, yeah, and they had all the paperwork painted up. Yeah, and, exactly. They had the logo. They're they like, the yeah, logos. but then we got, then the plane has to lose the 12. And I feel like then we don't even need the plane. <laughs> Then what are we even doing? Because without the twelve, I mean, it look, the twelve looks like the cock. I mean, it's twelve. The answer's twelve. No more nine. It's twelve. To get FDA approval, Purdue had to demonstrate that OxyContin was safe and effective, and that OxyContin lasted twelve hours. It's twelve. Well, how many times do we have to go over this? For at least half of patients. So that's the. That's pretty good. That's a fucking low number. Yeah, that's pretty good if you're Purdue. Doctor Curtis Wright led the FDA's medical review of the drug. Purdue submitted the Puerto Rico study, which showed showed it lasted for 12 hours. Mm. The FDA approved the application in 1995. Wow. Right after Dr. Curtis Wright left the FDA and two years later Don't was tell working me. for Purdue. <laughs> yes, how did you know? How did you know that? Uh, it's almost exactly like what happened at Enron. That's brutal. That is so crazy. That it? Mom's leaving. Bye, mommy. Uh, By the way, really great. Best intro ever uh, for the show. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Bye. Um, okay, so... Okay. Is she, is she single? A Pam is single. Your mom? Let's not, David. <laughs> there are lines. I know. For I know people that... I know gentlemen. Uh, we're all set over here. Can't run it. <laughs> Thanks for your help. According to Theodore Cicero, a neuropharmacologist at Washington University um, and a leading researcher on how opioids affect the brain, Uh quote, Oxycontin taken at 12-hour intervals could be the perfect recipe for addiction. Okay, so that's pretty clear. Patients in whom the drug doesn't last 12 hours can suffer both a return of the underlying pain and the beginning stages of withdrawal. That becomes a powerful motivator for people to take more drugs. I mean heroin. I mean more drugs. I mean dr- heroin. I mean, her- I mean oxycotton. So, I mean heroin. I mean legal heroin. I mean time-release heroin. <laughs> I, 12 hours! I need some oxys. So by doing the 12-hour window, they're... they're Basically creating addicts because the way the medication works, if it comes in under also, 12 hours, you're in pain, so you need more, and then it creates you having withdrawals. Yeah, but, it's a fucking... Yeah, so, I mean, right there, you should... That right. I mean, that's not a solution. <laughs> you're not solving something if you make someone a heroin addict. Uh, it's a solution from my bank account, bro. Yeah. <sighs> 
Purdue Pharma introduced OxyContin to the world in 1996. They spent 200... I, I mean, we really can boil it down to like six companies that are just ruining everything it's and produce produce up there produce up there they spent 207 million on the launch and doubled their sales force to 600 good yeah so they're coming out strong sure. they're like this is our shit yeah Purdue was going to sell synthetic opium to the masses. I mean, you absolutely need a mascot for this rollout. If you're coming out with synthetic opium, you're like, and me, um, synthetic opium bunny Tom. Hey. <laughs> I'm the bunny that falls down. Ads in medical journals were not vague about how long it lasted. There was a spotlight illuminating two dosage cups. One marked 8 a.m. and the other marked 8 p.m. Sounds like 12 hours to me. Quote, remember, effective relief just takes two. They're warping a, a, a medical necessity around a marketing campaign. Yeah, no, truly. It is. It, it, I mean, well, and you don't get the, like, obviously the marketing here uh, for drugs is insane. People from other countries come here and they're like, what What's is happening? happening? Yeah. <laughs> what, what's, what are your commercials? I feel like I'm in total recall on the train. Like, just everything's like, does your back hurt? Well, my back used to hurt. Make my, but, us die. No, but the, the best thing is when they do a, are you on Oxycontin? Oh. Do you, then you need you Boy, need the stool softener. I love taking heroin, but it throws my cycle off, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank God my doctor recommended Shitsalots. Shitsalots. The only pill that covers up the tracks of the heroin you're ingesting because your doctor made you believe bullshit. Are you taking Shitsalots? <laughs> So you can't eat all the fiber you want? Well, guess what? Now we're Do you have headaches from FiberCon? <laughs> if you have headaches caused by FiberCon after shits a lot after your Oxycontin, you need head relief. Do you see ghosts because of all the medication you're taking? Take Ghost Off! Have you been addicted to Ghost Off for a few years and you're not able to get, well, hard? Well, you need new Dick Boom. Dick Boom. <laughs> the only thing that's going to get rid of Ghost a lot. So, <laughs> before OxyContin, doctors viewed narcotic painkillers as incredibly addictive. Quite a statement. Incredibly addictive and reserved for long-term use for cancer patients and the terminally ill. So, okay. before 1990... That's pretty much the thought process. Right. So the, the, it, until the mid-90s, we had logic. Yes. Right. And Purdue testing in 1995 demonstrated that 68% of the oxycodone could be extracted from an oxycontin tablet when crushed. <laughs> I know. It is so... Recreational <laughs> users could crush, sniff, and inject the pill for a high that could last eight hours. So just so the euphoric effects and potential for abuse were comparable to heroin. So we basically put a rail around it. <laughs> and still, Purdue was looking for cash and a bigger market. A marketing executive uh, at an employee drug debut planning meeting in 1995. An awful title. Quote. And that's not going to fit on the cake. We do not want a niche Oxycontin just for cancer pain. Uh, what, uh, you, I mean, you have to not have something beating in your chest to deliver that. You have to be a psychopath. You really have to just be like, look, I've sucked the devil's dick. It's tasty. Come on, guys. 
A niche. Yeah, a niche. Fuck you. Look, we look, we cancer patients we got, guys. Sales reps promoted it on the 12-hour dose. They said it was more effective and less likely to cause addiction. Mm -hmm. They pitched it to family doctors and general practitioners to treat common conditions like backaches and knee pain. Their hook was the convenience of a twice-a-day dosing, here's which was who, bullshit. Here's who I don't want, in, want getting pitches. Yeah. Doctors. Right. They, they don't pitch them. Right. Let's, I, I think they, they'll figure, I mean, it's, it's, they shouldn't independently be making decisions on what drugs will work no. for them. There should be no pitching to doctors. Yeah, there's no pitching. All right, you're going to love this one. This one's a little bit of heroin, a little bit of opium, moves into an apartment together, okay? The FDA, uh, FDA officials allowed Purdue to state that the time release, quote, is believed to reduce its potential to be abused. <laughs> so they put, they allowed them to, to put in their literature, quote, is believed to reduce, which basically means yeah, nothing. Right. That's like a bag of chips being like, we think it's fat free. But sales reps forgot to mention the believed to reduce part when they talked to the doctors and just presented it as a fact. Oh, God. A 1996 news release for doctors said, quote, Oxycontin spares patients from anxious clock watching. Uh, this, this sounds like it's <laughs> 1944. From Not clock even, watching? This is like 1920. Yeah, but I mean, like the language, it's like, it sounds yeah. like a tag that would be on like uh, some kind of hair tonic. <laughs> a generous bonus system encouraged sales reps to increase sales. Not good. It's just, <laughs> we are so fucked. You just cannot... It, these are things you just can't have. You can't have people in government going to work for businesses that they have legislated for, and you can't have people from drug companies getting kickbacks off of selling more drugs. You're not selling, you're not going like door to door selling foods or Tupperware. Well, it's just you're, you're a bonus to sell heroin. Yeah, I mean, I mean I, honestly, you are. What is the difference? This led to a large number of visits to doctors who made high rates of. Opioid prescriptions. Yeah. So, so obviously, if you're a sales rep and you're making over. money, it's you're over. Go Dave, it's <laughs> over. It's over. I don't know how much more is left, but it's over. In 2001, the average sales rep salary was $55,000 with a bonus of $71,000. The highest bonuses were $240,000. Purdue paid $40 million in sales incentive bonuses in 2001. It, it is just. And spent $200 marketing. Oxycodone. $200? $200 million. Okay, he dropped a mill from there. Wendell uh, Fisher. Window Fisher? Wendell. Okay, I was going to say, that's a difference. A Sorry, you got any fish up there? A Purdue manager in Atlanta wrote in 1996, just 11 months after Oxycontin went on sale. Oh, boy. Quote, I am concerned that some physicians are using Oxycontin on an eight-hour schedule rather than a 12-hour schedule. Sales reps were told to visit those doctors and convince them to go back to a 12-hour dosing. Quote, 100% of the patients in the studies had pain relief on a 12-hour dosing regimen. I don't understand. That of all the problems they have, what is their, why is that such a huge gripe? Because, because, because of the approval process? Because of the marketing. Because the marketing said 12, they don't want to back down from 12. Right. The whole thing is that if... They can market it to doctors that people have to take fewer pills. But it wasn't working. Soon, one in five OxyContin prescriptions were for eight hours or less. Purdue held closed-door meetings to retrain its sales force on the importance of 12-hour dosing. Guys, you, look, we've got all the stuff printed. 
We're not changing it to eight. But there's people that after eight, they hurt. Everything hurts. Their, their pain hurts. But Then, then they'll also... take more. But we're not changing the goddamn logo. No, they... It's 12. But they can't. What? They can't take more. because I don't not... care if they can't take more. Okay? You well, know what they... I care about? Okay. I have a pool in my yard <laughs> that gives current, and I can swim against it. So I'm essentially doing laps in a small pool. And I have a regular pool, but now I have a lap pool. Yes. Hey, I was going to say it's a lap pool, but you were giving a really long description. Oh, I'm sorry that I want to brag about having Mother Nature in my backyard. Now get out there and sell some goddamn hero-oxy pills. So get that help, people, guys. Let's just remember who we're doing this for. Who? Me. Lap pool. Lap pool. They were told, quote, Managed care plans are beginning to refuse to fill prescriptions and to refocus the clinical the clinician back to 12 hours. Doctors need to be reminded, quote, on every call. One sales manager told their reps, quote, eight-hour dosing needs to be nipped in the bud now. It's crazy. But what to do about those people who complain? I mean, they, they legalized heroin, and they're sitting here just barking about 12. I mean, pat yourselves on the back every once in a while. You're making millions of dollars from selling street drugs to people again. Uh. So what to do about those people who complain OxyContin didn't last 12 hours? Well, Purdue reps told doctors to... Have new Oxy Juniors for in between your two Oxys. No, increase the strength of the dose rather than taking more pills. Okay, but in some... uh, That sounds like some fire being played with. (laughs) (laughs) There's actually no ceiling on the strength OxyContin... Good. ...can be prescribed. Good. Well, that took. A, I actually, I will say, I'm generally, I'm gen, genuinely impressed that that took around a year and a half. Uh, I mean, that's that's that shows you that they had a pretty like, year and a half where they were like, well, we don't want to kill them. All right, give them an elephant's dose. Sales reps started throwing oxycontin goods at doctors: clocks, pens, shirts, fishing hats, embossed with Q12H, which is what the terminology is for twelve-hour. <laughs> Oh, dose. cool! That's a cool fishing hat. There were stuffed plush toys. And it's my license plate. When I worked at, when I first got here, I worked at stable centers. I was a suite attendant. You mean you were really good at it, I or you worked the so suites? much fucking money oh, because yeah. the pharma pharmaceutical companies would come yeah. in and throw a big party, and they would write me a three hundred dollar uh, tip at the end of the night, and there would just be all these all this swag. Yeah. I, for for years, I had all this fucking swag around my apartment. You had oxy, it was just you, were, you were walking pens, around pens, hats, like it was just fucking all over the place. You Pfizer were, and yeah. <laughs> this is, I mean, and this is in the grace period where you were like, well, they're not that evil. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, you're like, oh, sure, I'll wear a pill hat. Um, there were stuffed plush toys, music CDs with songs like- What are the plush like toys? Music CDs. Music CDs? With songs like Get in the Swing with Oxycontin. Who, who yeah, are the bands? How we not get that? Who? Aerosmith. <laughs> oh, my God. No. <laughs> This was unprecedented for a Schedule II opioid. I mean, well, uh, The company brought doctors to all paid dinner seminars and flew them to weekend junkets at resort hotels. Well, they're putting the junk in junket. There they were encouraged to prescribe OxyContin and even promote it to their fellow doctors what is this? back home. What are these? Is blood being drank it's at like, these? It's like a cult. I mean, honestly, are they wearing cloaks? <laughs> hey, go back and get your other doctors to, you know, 
do the same thing, right? Have you heard of Amway? This is Amway, but for heroin. Ah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's not so bad. You like the trip, right? The shrimp's delicious. Yeah. I mean, my, my wife and I were saying we haven't yeah. eaten like this since uh, I don't know when. So put all your guys on OxyContin, all I your mean, I, you know, morally it's reprehensible, but again... You, yeah, but look at the shrimp. I know, and all the stuffed toys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys got to throw a party. I guess yeah. I'll, I'll kill them. All right, there we go. <laughs> I'm having fun. Let's kill one guy. Yeah, yeah let's kill one guy. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm yeah. Nice pen, too. Thank you. Thank you. That's going to And this fishing time. hat that says QH1200, it makes sense. You know how long that uh, the ink in that pen lasts? How long? 12 hours. Hey, Get on up right. here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, man. We're going to kill some people. And the FDA does not have enough manpower to oversee promotional materials. The F- so, so. The FDA, is, so in 2002, there were 34 FDA staff members who had to review 34,000 pieces of promotional material. (laughs) So 10,000 a pop. It's not like it matters. But but in that in that circumstance, they they're what they're basically doing is they're overseeing the marketing, sort of? Yeah, they have to make sure everything is on the up and up. They've done a the horrible market. job of doing that. Well, when they've stopped, right? Thirty nine guys for thirty four thousand people. Like they're doing a lot of shit. And it's not just it's videos, it's everything. Like yeah. they gotta look at all kinds of shit. <laughs> but it's not like it matters anyway. Regulations require that all promotional materials for prescription drugs be submitted to the FDA for review, but it is not required that the materials be approved by the FDA before they are used. It's literally pointless. It is literally pointless. They literally made it pointless. Cool. So it's a hoop. Yeah. In 1998, Purdue didn't even bother to submit to the FDA. They so just it's getting a little lax. <laughs> Uh, we got another one. We don't need it for them. What are they going to say? How long does it last? We did that before. Bullshit. Last 12 hours. Trust me. They just distributed 15,000 copies of an OxyContin video to doctors. Though in 2001, Purdue did submit a second version of the video to the FDA. So three years later. The FDA did well, not- we finished our final cut. The FDA did not review it until October 2002. So it's been out for four years now. The FDA then concluded the video minimized the risks from OxyContin and made unsubstantiated claims. So it's been out for four years. And then they finally were like... And then they finally say, no, it's not. That's not okay. That's not good. No. Sorry. Anything happened in those four years? Sorry, we took so long. By 1999, non-cancer-related pain made up 86% of the opioid market. Good. Good. Produce. This is t- ten years later. They've completely obliterated. Take completely everything taken over. That was, yeah. Produce, they Ubered the pills. <laughs> <laughs> Produce promotion led to an increase in oxycontin prescriptions from six hundred and seventy thousand. This is just in nineteen ninety seven to six point two million in two thousand and two. Oh. So that's more. <sighs> if you if moving you, units. If you <laughs> moving some units. Good God. There is very little evidence that opioids work for long-term pain, but Purdue still promoted it to primary care physicians to use it liberally. That, that really, uh, that, I mean, that's the thing. We're just not prepared for total bullshit. Like, we, 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 like total bullshit works. Assaultive bullshit eventually yeah, wins. it does win. In 2003, half of all physicians prescribing OxyContin were primary care physicians. Good Lord. Primary care physicians are not the ones you want prescribing something no. like OxyContin. They Honestly, a- what, how, how, what, like, <laughs> obviously. 
They have a limited amount of time with patients for evaluation and follow-ups and often are not sufficiently trained in pain management and addiction issues. You, I mean, at least you used to have to, like, drive and go to a shady place and wait around to get heroin. Like, right. it was harder to get heroin. It was harder to get you heroin. You feel fine if a yeah. doctor's like, well, you should try heroin. You're Might right. be right for you. My back feels weird. Have you tried heroin? Um, so, so I haven't been able to go to the bathroom since you put me on the heroin. Oh, have you take? Well, try shits a lot. Okay. Hey, shits seeing... lot works great, but I have horrid headaches. Which <laughs> headaches? I forgot the next medicine we do. The ghosts. Fiberol. <laughs> Fiberol. Fibercon. I think yeah. ghosts. Ghosts away is the last one. Yeah, all right. This <laughs> <laughs> is quite a run. I think it's okay to not recall it. Um. So was this a problem? No. Purdue trained their sales reps to tell primary care doctors that the risk of addiction was, quote, less than 1%. Uh, yeah, we went to the Because uh, We Said So company. <laughs> and they told us that. <laughs> uh, yeah, seal of approval, Because We Said So. Uh, they would cite one study. Unfortunately, there are many studies that say the addiction uh, rate is anywhere from 0 to 50%. Purdue just picked the one study they liked. Now, some people are saying that some of these studies are useless. Doctors took courses to fulfill education requirements for their medical license renewals, paid for by a company that wanted them to prescribe opioid pills. I mean, it just, (laughs) it's in the blood. (laughs) Organizations that write treatment guidelines then started endorsing opioids for chronic pain. Many of the people writing the guidelines were financially tied to the drug makers, and there were regulations that were problematic. So... Purdue took a Trojan horse approach and infiltrated regulatory agencies and academic medicine in order to convince doctors that prescribing more opioids was evidence-based medicine. They they said moles in? Up until now, pain pain was treated differently, and they didn't believe that this is how you treated pain, and so so Purdue went to the governing bodies... And got in there and then had all of the literature changed and had all of the I mean, recommendations we're just, changed. We're not. We're good. We're good people. <laughs> it's not. I mean. We're good people. Suicide bombers and markets. Purdue Pharma joined forces with the Joint Commission. The Joint Commission is an organization that accredits hospitals. And Purdue gave tons of teaching material to the Joint Commission, telling them they needed to make doctors treat pain more aggressively. The Joint Commission agreed. They started telling doctors that opioids aren't addictive as long as they're treating patients for pain. So this is the the body that tells yeah, no, doctors what to do. It's again, I mean, it's like <laughs> the water's ruined. It's over. This led Me and doctors, Aaron had a joint commission right before the show. <laughs> hey, this led doctors uh, uh, to no longer saying no to patients who wanted more drugs. This is the opposite of what happened to Bear with heroin. Heroin was scuttled because doctors saw it leading to addiction. Right. So if you are, if you're a company, let's just step back for a minute and hypothesize that you're a company and you're putting out a new product that is heroin-like, and you saw in the past that the thing that cut off all revenue for another company was doctors becoming aware. It's almost like they saw that history right. and swooped in there's and just, annihilated there's, it. There's no bottom to evil, so you can't... There is no bottom to evil. You keep racing. 
It it worked in ways Purdue executives had not dreamed of. Ugh. OxyContin revenues crushed MC Cotton revenues. At first, the highest MC Cotton they'll put out a couple other good albums. After they, that. Yeah, they're almost done. But even even their last album was not. Uh, really? Well, I mean, it's just because Five Milligram died. At first, the highest. <laughs> At first, the highest dose of OxyContin made was 40 milligrams, but soon the FDA approved 80 milligram uh, version. By the way, by the way, 40, super high, right? Fuck yes. I mean, like any, like if I think of any of the pills that I hear about, the 40 isn't really attached to them. No, that's a crazy a amount lot. of fake heroin. 40. So and then they went to 80. Then they went to 80, and they and you know they had a higher one, but they eventually got rid of it. But it was like 120 or or even higher. Sales went from 44 million in 1996. To a 2000, 2000, 2001, 2002 combined sales of nearly $3 billion. Oh, my God. Over 14 million prescriptions. By 2002, OxyContin combined for 68% of oxycodone sales. Sales would keep, keep climbing until 2010 when they leveled off at a sweet $3 billion a year. Oh, my God. Did somebody mention opium coupons? Um, I don't think. Yeah. I... How about some opium coupons? Purdue began a patient starter Opions? Cou- uh, Purdue <laughs> began a patient starter coupon for OxyContin. It gave patients a free prescription for a 7 to 30 day supply of OxyContin. Uh, anyone? Well, anyone patients? the doctor Anyone that, that went uh, in with that Have you ever gone into a doctor's by office the way. and they give you the little prescription packet for something? Yeah. That's what they were doing but with fucking OxyContin. Right. So but and 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 coupon. It's a fucking <laughs> coupon for heroin. It's a heroin coupon. But by the way, in the last one we talked about, they were sending heroin in the mail, and that had to stop. Yeah. And this is eliminating a trip to the mailbox, <laughs> which, by the way, with some of these dosages, sounds like it might not even be an option anymore. <laughs> and that is cool because the mail come to me now. <laughs> but if you have a 30-day supply, you're hooked. <laughs> I don't know how long it takes to get hooked on OxyContin, but there's plenty of people that get hooked in 30 fucking days. Um, well, yeah. The program ended in 2001, but by then around 34,000 coupons had been redeemed. Redeemed. And strangely, Rachel Those are hard to cut, too, because you're all pilled out. Oh, dude, the worst. You're just cutting through your thumb like, I gotta see the doctor say. It's a free one. And strangely, rates of addiction and overdose shot up. Really? From what? I don't know. News coverage focused on Appalachia and New England and made con- OxyContin well known. It became known as Hillbilly Heroin. Purdue's response was to send reps to Virginia, Maine, and elsewhere to defend the drug. They blamed misuse of OxyContin and insisted their pill was a godsend for pain sufferers if used the way it was supposed to be, the way it didn't work. Right. The 12. <laughs> Look, I don't know how many times we're going to have to go over this. Over and over. The, num- we- the number is 12, guys. 12. The number is 12. 12. All right. Somebody was saying eight. Somebody's- no. Okay. You're way off base. The it- number... It's 12. We did. We had a lot of meetings. Yeah, we had a lot of meetings. We got a plane with a 12 on it. We got a bunch of mugs with the number fucking 12. The number is 12. There's a plushy 12. The number is 12. Plushy 12. Somebody try telling 12 the turtle that he's not going to work anymore. What does my hat say? 12 the turtle. 12. It's 12. Maybe nine. Purdue senior medical director. David J. Haddix. Okay. A lot of these people say, well, I was taking the medicine like my doctor told me to, and then they start taking them more and more and more. I don't see where that's my problem. Yeah, no, where'd they get that idea? (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah, no. Yeah, the guy who planted the seed is like, "Ah, I don't know where that tree came from. 
The U.S. De- uh, Justice Department launched a criminal investigation. Into? Into? The complete corruption of uh, this situation? Uh, yeah, all of it. They're right. looking into, particularly okay. the, the, the marketing and, and that shit. Right. Purdue's marketing of OxyContin had already changed the practice of medicine. Other drunk companies started marketing their narcotic painkillers for routine injuries. Everybody's getting on board. Oh, and Purdue compiled data on doctors to figure out which ones would prescribe the most. That is not something they should have access to. <laughs> I mean... Hey, who's working the best corner? Yeah, honestly, you are... Gen- that you is are, who is working I, the best honestly, corner. Uh, Fucking 100%. They detailed the prescribing patterns of doctors nationwide. With a doctor's profile, they could identify the highest and lowest prescribers of particular So it's a list drugs. of best to worst doctor, essentially. For them. And they're going from the bottom down. Yeah. Purdue would then target doctors who were the highest prescribers for opioids in the country. Oh, cool. The data did not look at whether or not the doctors were just indiscriminately prescribing, so they would push the drug on doctors who were just pill pushers. So they found the weak ones. They found all the Dr. Roberts, and they just they, threw they pills in. They found the guys who need money, right? right. There's yeah. the guy who's got the house, maybe got a divorce or two, and now he's fucking hurting, and so he's in money well, trouble. if he's hurting, and... I got a pill. He can take <laughs> yeah, the last right? 12 hours. Oh, yeah. Allegedly. One of the things they used was uh, a video. Uh, it's the one the FDA eventually said was misleading. Okay. The video is about one Dr. Alan Spanos, who is a pain specialist in North Carolina and a paid speaker for Purdue Pharma. I don't think he should be allowed to be both. Why? Mm. It also talks uh, to seven of his patients. Okay. They share their OxyContin success stories. It was made in 1998 and sent out through 2002. In the video, Dr. Spanos urged doctors to consider prescribing opioids more often. Good. Well, he is a pain specialist. <laughs> Who's paid by the company that's asking him to make the video? We got to double up on this stuff, gentlemen. We're doctors. Come on, guys. Is your patient drooling? Yes. No. Let's go more. Higher. Can he open his eyes? Is he an eye opener? I think he's dead. Well, you overdid it. You did. That's now, your fault. What we call that is losing a client. Okay. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and terrible for the family, but that's called losing a client. Okay, juice them up to a certain point, but don't overjuice. Juice them. Okay? He said that Oxy was less addictive and less likely to be abused than other drugs. Sure. He said opioids, quote, don't wear out. What? He said opioids, quote, quote, don't wear out. What is he talking? What? (laughs) He's just saying whatever he wants to say at this point. Has he had contact with a person who doesn't work in the company lately? He's literally a guy who's just like, give me more money. What do you want me to say? I'll say anything for more money. That means patients wouldn't need stronger doses over time, which is insanely false. People actually develop tolerance so, and, over time. And, and, okay, right, exactly. So that the point of that is obviously that you're saying, like, you know, this is it. This is the end of the road. You're not going to get more addicted to this. Right. right. Spanos also downplayed the risk of sedation and doctors' concerns that patients on narcotics seem, quote, sleepy and vague. Well, that's called working, gentlemen. And look stoned all the time. Yeah, that's called working, gentlemen. <laughs> quote, nothing could be further from the truth. He said the sedation would wear off after a couple of weeks. Good Lord. They'll be fine once they come out of the heroin circle. Other doctors tried. Could you imagine being a doctor and hearing a guy say well, that after a couple of weeks they'll be less fucking and it's, it's nodding the, out? It is the problem with what... You know, with desensit- like with being desensitized, because 
it, it's happening now in the news where we know like we've just been hit with so much that the crazy is now normal. And it's the same thing with any like yeah. with this. Now, the crazy shit is now normal. And now you're right. like, well, I mean, I guess I could be throwing more pills at my patients. Sure. Yeah. Right. I, mean, I mean, I do like that luxury. Yacht. <laughs> no, if you look at the our overall society, the pattern of lying is insane. Yeah. And so and everything just... starts to work for people. Yep. Um, so, uh, other doctors tried to counter Spanos's narrative. Deborah Grady, a professional of medicine at the University of California said, quote, enough opioids can make you sleepy to the point of dead. That's pretty sleepy. That's a, d- <laughs> we'd all agree that that's real sleepy. <laughs> that's what Too happened. Sleepy. That's what happened to one of, uh, seven of Dr. Spanos patients in the video. Johnny had back pain and was prescribed Oxycontin. Sounds by like a Spanos. Bon Jovi lyric, right? Johnny had back pain. <laughs> Go on. No. No, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm retiring. So he was prescribed Oxycontin by Spanos. He became addicted to it and frequently dozed off. His wife during the of... video. <laughs> no, no. I think we should cut that part. That seems like it's incriminating. His wife. Spoke... I don't even remember life before this. Hello. Mm. Pills that just was the difference between the whole. Uh, have you ever talked to someone who nods off? Uh, it's really insane. No, I've seen, I've seen the, I've seen it. There might be someone in my family who, who, what would nod off? Got and a case come of the to. sleepies. You're, you're like sitting at a table, and he's like falling asleep. He, we, he had a bagel, and he had a tomato on it. He fell asleep in the tomato. And then he comes to and starts talking when we've moved on three minutes down the conversation. My guess is the conversation was starting to become about when the guy put his head in a bagel. <laughs> and he was like, we're not talking sports anymore? What do you mean? Did someone put a bagel inside their brain? Oh, good Lord. So Johnny has back pain. He gets the Oxycontin, becomes addicted. He's dozing <laughs> off a lot. His wife spoke of one incident at a restaurant, quote, he had a hamburger, but instead of biting the hamburger, he would actually be biting his hand i mean it's so it is it like that's obviously like your instinct is to laugh at a man eating his hand for dinner what's a hamburger oh no <laughs> oh, dave oh boy <laughs> but it is terrible it's, it's absolutely terrible, no, it's terrible because terrible. you you being... are brought up to trust doctors and yeah. to trust these things and to trust that whatever you're getting is going to be okay. And then you're at a dinner and your wife's like, you haven't eaten anything except for your hand. And n- But now imagine you're the wife and your husband had back pain and now you're looking at this guy eating his hand. Yeah. Like that. How bad was two, the back? There's two hells going on. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, so... Johnny Yu uh, was continued using Oxycontin and morphine. In 1999, he appeared in a second Purdue video. Quote, never a drowsy moment around here, Johnny said, his voice slurred and his eyes heavy. What? In 2008, he fell asleep while driving, flipped his truck, and instantly died. Which is a pretty common way these people die. There's a lot of traffic accidents. Doctors also had an interesting switch during this period. A hundred years ago, the medical community thought that pain made patients stronger. It was largely held belief that pain had a uh, physiologic benefit to the individual and certainly some spiritual benefits. So they think pain actually makes you stronger. Like long-term pain, you can eventually overcome. Like pain isn't eternal, but when you give someone Oxycontin, you're saying this is going to be here forever. Right. But the way they used to look at it is it's going to make you stronger, you're going to battle through it, right. and you're going to come out the other side no, and you're going to be a better person. Uh, well, I mean, they believed, you know, a lot of crazy shit 100 years ago. But it, it is true that, like, if you 
you know, if you take antibiotics a lot, your body creates a resistance to right. antibiotics. And if you take them less, when you do take them, they're more effective. Right. Unfortunately, we've overtaken them and now we're almost out. Anyway, keep Don't going. Don't worry about it. But as prescription painkillers became more available, patients became less willing to endure pain. Right. So suddenly doctors- spoiled. Yes. And suddenly doctors began to feel that pain was something they had to eliminate at all costs. It, well, it is crazy. The goal to remove pain. But this was this was also an orchestrated effort by Purdue to make doctors and people switch. They're also telling people you shouldn't be in pain. Right. Right. Yeah. No, they've they're fighting a war on pain. Yeah. Doctors are prescribing it more and more, often because it was wearing off and because people were getting addicted. Now, Purdue officials worried that if OxyContin wasn't seen as a 12 hour drug, insurance companies <laughs> and hospitals would stop paying hundreds of dollars a bottle. Well, they're the real victims. Dr. Lawrence Robert Robbins started prescribing OxyContin at his Chicago migraine clinic shortly after it hit the market. 70 to 80% of his patients reported it lasted just four, five, six, seven hours. So Robinson started telling people to take it more frequently, but insurance carriers began to refuse to cover the pharmacy bill for more than two pills a day. So, I mean, you're creating junkies who don't have money. That's, yes, exactly what you're doing. In 2007, the U.S. Justice Department's case against Purdue finally went to court. Prosecutors found a, quote, corporate culture that allowed this product to be misbranded with the intent to defraud and mislead. Purdue was ordered to pay around $600 million in fines. That was 2007. Purdue had already made well over $7 billion. Wow. So who gives a fuck? Yeah, it's paying for parking. It worked. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Three executives of Purdue Pharma... Its president, its top lawyer, and uh, former medical director pled guilty as individuals to misbranding, which is a criminal misdemeanor. They agreed to pay $34.5 million in fines and were sentenced to three years probation and 400 hours of community service, not one day of prison time for destroying tons of lives and killing people. Of course. Purdue put out a statement, quote, nearly six years- Community service. Yeah. I mean, it ain't jaywalking. Nearly six years and longer ago, some employees made or told other employees to make certain statements about OxyContin to some healthcare professionals that were inconsistent with the FDA-approved prescribing information for OxyContin and the express warnings it contained about risks associated with the medicine. The statements also violated written company policies requiring adherence to the prescribing information. We accept responsibility for those past misstatements and regret that they were made. Uh, well, so that's I, think, something. I think I believe them. That's something. That sounds pretty from the heart. Oh, wait. In a separate quote. Huh? There shouldn't, there's no more quotes. In a separate statement. No, they had a good one. Of the executives. Oh, boy. Purdue said, quote, neither engaged in nor tolerated the misconduct at issue in this investigation. To the contrary, they took steps to prevent any misstatements in the marketing or promotion of OxyContin and to correct any misstatements of which they became aware. You know what? Even is, though they just pled guilty and they just said the opposite in the but other. But you end. know what is like is maybe the scariest part is that I feel like they believe it. And I feel like these people, when they do cite their bullshit, they're surrounded by others who spew it all the time, that it becomes like a different language. And they actually do start to not feel any culpability. And that's even more dangerous. I, I think you're giving them too much credit. I think they're fucking monsters and they don't give I a shit. I bet they're monsters, but I bet I, I'm saying they're they monsters on such a level that they are, you know, able to lie and Possibly. think that they do do well. I think I, yeah. Like George, yeah, I'm, well, I don't want to say anymore. <laughs> So after the settlement, uh, three years later, Purdue, Purdue pulled uh, 
the original Oxycontin from the market and introduced an abuse-resistant form that makes it harder to crush, snort, or inject. So what, what doesn't come up here is that the patent was running out. So the patent wasn't gonna. The patent was gonna come up in 2013. So they just came up with a new form, right as the patent was about to end. So now the patent on Oxy 2.0 is good till 2025, and the FDA rewarded Purdue with a patent extension for a drug that injured and killed millions because they came up with a way to stop people from crushing and snorting it. Oh my God! Oh, and 25 percent of users claim they figured out how to defeat yeah, the deterrent. Yeah, of course, uh, always. It's like a rock in a river. It's going to get around. Your, I mean, if people want to put it in them quickly, they will they find will. ways. That's why you can't be giving people heroin. Yeah. <laughs> the original, so the patent expired in 2013. So that's when generics would kick in, as we learned from their last MS right, yep. cotton thing. But the FDA banned generic versions of the original OxyContin. Well, we're retiring it. And required drug makers to develop abuse-resistant versions so now, but isn't the, but go ahead. Okay, so the abuse resistant form of OxyContin isn't abuse resistant. Did cause no, but it did cause a big drop in abuse. Okay, because tw- only tw- not everybody figured it out. Well, I mean, just post but at a that YouTube. point, there's tons of addicts. Right. Right. So what about those guys? Right. So they're already addicted. Right. Turns out, heroin has almost the exact same chemical structure and effect on the body as OxyContin, mm-hmm. and heroin is cheaper and not that hard to get and it's heroin it's also heroin so while the abuse of oxycontin went down overdose deaths from heroin more than doubled right because if (laughs) the people who switched from oxycontin to heroin uh, are now using heroin which they're injecting which is super dangerous so they're going from taking a specific amount yeah well to now hitting the streets yeah and getting, They've, <laughs> they don't know if a batch is super potent, super weak. So now they're going into a whole new fucking ball game and they're dying all over the place. Yeah. Because, and I mean, it is because you can't, like, you're already, you got addicted to opioids. And this is company. because these motherfuckers yeah. made everybody addicted and then came up with a, a pill that was harder to crush so they could keep their fucking patent. I, I have, I have a couple friends of mine who have, because uh, it's huge, it's so abused in the in the yes. Midwest as well. And there are a couple of friends of mine who have died from it. Yeah. Uh, and there are a couple of people who have gone on to heroin. Yeah. And I remember, I mean, just so clearly when it was starting, I mean, people had it and would just be snorting it. Yeah. And you watch the experience of someone snort oxycotton. It's really bizarre. Yeah. Because it literally is. It is heroin. They drop back. They pass out. It's not fun. It's not like a party drug. But right. people would be like, "Yeah, let's do oxy." And then I'll pass. And out. then we'll Later all nap out. together. <laughs> we'll do some oxy. Then we'll all nap. And then we'll wake up. And not know what's up. Have tummy aches. Do more. <laughs> But uh, it, it's it is comp- I mean it's just com- you know you the idea that that you don't feel complicit if you've put opioids into somebody's body and then they're doing heroin you're like man poor choice yeah you made a bad choice there weird call so many of the people are young 18 19 20 21 mm-hmm. Purdue has been sued hundreds of times over how it marketed oxycontin most never get to a jury Purdue gets suits dismissed using precedent which shields drug companies from liability when their products are prescribed by doctors. I mean, that's a shield they don't deserve. <laughs> that's fucking insane. <laughs> no, so they so they're that. untouchable. They're untouchable. 
Uh, Exempt. Some lawsuits were settled confidentially, and the evidence was sealed to protect trade secrets. Sure. These sealed materials include internal memos to members of the uh, Sackler family, FDA correspondence, testimony from executives, and sales reps reports. Okay. One case that got further than most was a 2004 case in Appalachia. The West Virginia uh, attorney accused Purdue of deceptive marketing, including the 12-hour claim. I mean, we are right. Show me one piece of evidence that says the 12 doesn't work. Good luck. I mean, look at the plane. Look at it's the hat. 12. Look 12. At, I mean, look, the, look at the pens. Would there be a plushie? The whole thing's 12, and anyone who's saying different doesn't understand. It's a plushie. It's 12. Why is there a plushie here? Yeah, look at the balloon. It's a one and a two. Your Honor, <laughs> I'd like to bring in as... Uh, exhibit adorable, exhibit, Your Honor. Exhibit one is a pillow. Yeah, look exhibit B, we're going to go We're gonna go number letters. Exhibit B, all these mugs. Oh. I'm sorry. Oh, I thought I saw ghosts. Uh, hey, you'll have to excuse my friend. He wasn't going to the toilet a lot because of the opioids, so now he's on Ghost Be Gone. So Purdue made a bunch of attempts to get this lawsuit dismissed, and they kept failing. Purdue then made a motion for summary judgment. To make this argument, Purdue reached out to Ubergreat. Oh, God. What the? What, future, super friends? Future Attorney General under, under Obama, Eric Holder. Oh, God. Eric Holder argued that West Virginia... Prosecutors didn't have sufficient evidence to warrant a trial. The judge ruled there was enough evidence. Okay. So just so we're, if we're keeping score, yeah. Eric Holder right. uh, let the banks off after they destroyed our economy. Well, to be fair, I mean, they, they were fined uh, $20,000, so. Argued in favor of Uber not having any background checks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Now is arguing in favor of Oxycontin. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dave. This still falls on Bush's doorstep. <laughs> I, mean, like, uh, I, I think there's a way. Obama great Eric Holder. Fucking monster. Ugh. His decision meant Oxycontin's duration would be aired at trial. Sealed evidence would be out for everyone to see. So Purdue quickly settled for $10 million. Well, the evidence was on dollars. a time release. $10 million. <laughs> I mean, it's just, were they... Did like did one of them laugh and then just like open a wallet? It's just like <laughs> throw it in the judge's face. <laughs> hey, here's some cab fare, bitch. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That is, I, I didn't realize I could be held in contempt. Morris lawsuits against Purdue rolled in in January 2017. Everett Washington filed a first of its kind lawsuit alleging the drug maker quote supplied oxycontin to obviously suspicious physicians and pharmacies ultimately failing to prevent the illegal diversion of Oxycontin into the black market. The suit states that the heroin crisis is directly due to Purdue's wrongful conduct. Good. Um, Quote, we believe the flooding of the city with Oxycontin caused the crisis. Our capacity to respond has been overwhelmed and Purdue should pay for the harm they caused. But the truth is that in, in a situation like this, the the problem is that they, I mean, they have so much money that they can right. just make it as impossible yeah. and as costly as it could possibly be. Right. That's, that's cool. That's capitalism. That's how it works. You get to oh, buy, sorry. Buy. I didn't realize. I, I do like capitalism. I yep. remember knowing that I like it. So. This all started with a sham clinic in Los Angeles that was set up in 2008. An Armenian mobster leased an office space near MacArthur Park, which is not a great area. Mm-mm. They hired an elderly doctor and gave uh, the clinic the name Lake Medical. Hello. The doctor, Eleanor Santiago, started prescribing OxyContin. 
Here you go. And lots of it. And one week in September, she prescribed 1,500 pills. Oh, my God. In October, she she prescribed 11,000 pills. Oh, my God. In December, she prescribed 73,000 pills. Is she, she's just like the person in the Guinness book who can just hold their breath longer and breaks it every month? I don't even know you write that much. Yeah, honestly. That is not, that is nonstop. You're definitely writing it once and just printing them out. (laughs) Oh, hold on. Let me just give you a 40. There you go. A sales manager went to look at what was going on. Oh, I like what I see. So the Purdue person's like, this seems. She sent an email to Purdue's compliance director, sales manager, quote, the line was out the door with people who looked like gang members. I feel very certain this is an organized drug ring. Shouldn't the DA be contacted about this? Yeah. Under federal Fair law, point. they're required to. Sure. Let me they, guess. Yeah. They don't. They didn't. Of course. Oh, except the federal government has not accused Purdue of any wrongdoing the case. Oh, good. Well, I mean, then, well, the go- you can trust the government, so they're right. Or of any other suspected drug operations anywhere in the U.S. Sure, they haven't done anything now that I recollect. In a statement, Purdue said the company had, quote, at all times complied with the law. Right. Which might be the problem. Yeah, the truth is that they found, I mean, they kind of found ways around the laws. <laughs> Quote, it would be irresponsible to direct every single anecdotal and often unconfirmed claim of potential misprescribing. Yeah. I mean, that's going to take a long time. I wouldn't want to be the guy collecting those numbers. So here's how they get away with it. Purdue is required to monitor and report suspicious orders to the DEA. Okay. That, but okay. Purdue, that seems like a problematic step. But Purdue found a nice middleman from a Purdue lawyer. Quote, Purdue does not ship prescription products directly to pharmacies. It sells only to authorized wholesalers who maintain their own monitoring programs. So they're basically like, how can we monitor? They're monitoring. Well, we're not supposed to monitor because we give it to a warehouse that does it. Right. Who I wonder who owns that. More than 200,000 people have died from overdoses involving opioid painkillers. But it's weird with all the data that, remember the data that we're collecting on doctors about yeah. who prescribes the most? Yeah, the batting average. It's weird they can't see who's overprescribing with that. Strange. Because it's literally data that finds out who's overprescribing. Yeah, but- they but, can't figure out who's overprescribing. Yeah, but who has the data? That They have the data. Okay, yeah, but who, yeah, exactly. So, you know, exactly. Okay. Yeah. This is a good talk. Okay, yeah. Because they, yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh... Is this a good time to mention how much money pharmaceutical companies have spent on lobbying? Let me ask and you this. Is this a good time for me to flip this fucking table? $880 million as of 2016. <laughs> That's eight times more money than the gun lobby. It's 200 times the amount of groups advocating for stricter opium prescription rules. Good. Most of the funding is done through the Pain Care Forum, or the PCF, PCF was founded by a lobbyist for a company called Purdue Pharma. (laughs) Anyway, back to the clinic. (laughs) Turns out Dr. Santiago was- A lot of punches coming my way. Turns out Dr. Santiago was drowning in debt when she took the job at the clinic. Okay. So that's why she was making it rain with pills. We're back to that weird- Oh, you mean where, yeah, that thing where you incentivize via money? Where you incentivize crime by putting people in- right. The 80 milligram pills she was giving out were usually for patients with severe chronic pain who had built up a tolerance. They were called 80s on the street, and they are the most in demand. Well, normally if they're called 80s on the street, it's being used legitimately. Yeah. They went for 80 bucks each. This was when pills could be crushed and 
you know, shot, yeah. snorted. The number of pills Santiago was prescribing was described as, quote, jaw-dropping. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, a lot of patients' jaws <laughs> continued to drop over the coming months. Some doctors go to their entire careers without prescribing 180. And she was like, one? Thousands. Hold my beer. <laughs> When the sales reps went to check it out, the building looked abandoned. Inside, hallways were filled with trash and lined with men who, quote, looked like they just got out of L.A. County jail. So the clinic so, so is what, just what is a going fucking, on? <laughs> it's, it's just, just a, it's a fucking old it's a school sham crack clinic. house like yeah, right. thing. It's just totally. ridiculous. Right. A couple months later, a Purdue security committee met to discuss the clinic. Instead of reporting it to the DEA, they put. The doctor on a list of possible reckless doctors. Possible. Big list. Big possible. List. Possible. In 2000. We're seeing a little, some red flaggery, but we're not really willing to call 73, it 73,000. We're still on the. We're not sure. We believe a truck flipped. In 2013, there were 1,800 doctors on the list. Eight were, eight, 8% were reported to law authorities. <laughs> well, the, so... the medical clinic was getting homeless people from Skid Row. Paying them 25 bucks to get prescriptions filled, the pills were then brought to a middleman who packaged them for sale and, may, and they made their way across the country. Well, this doesn't sound shady. East Hollywood's white fence gang trafficked them to Chicago. The Crips brought them to the Inland Empire. One pharmacist in Encino reported someone was shuttling in homeless people in vans to fill prescriptions. Oh, my God. How long until these people are giving doctors the drugs? It sounds like there might be a... F- I mean, we, how far away are we from... The doctor needing to score some 80s for his clinic. Pharmacists all over L.A. started complaining to Purdue. Purdue just wouldn't respond. Sorry, we're busy. I got a thing with a guy. Yeah, we're doing things with guys. So Purdue, ph- we do things with guys. Pharmacists just started denying the prescriptions on their own. But the ones that kept selling, Purdue decided to, quote, continue to watch the situation. So they're just... <laughs> that's cool. They're just going to ump it? Purdue never shut off the supply to any... Pharmacist, and the pharmacists kept selling because they were making money. Right. In the end, it was a state team of federal, state, and law enforcement who shut down the clinic. It was closed in 2010, a year and a half in business. Well, that's. I mean, they caught it quick. Purdue still uh, had still not shared any information with the government at that point. Good. After one Purdue executive wrote, "Quote: It really takes the G a long time to catch up with these jokers." Can we get his name and home address? Send him stuff. This is right around when Purdue switched to the new tem- uh, tamper-resistant formula and people addicted switched to heroin. In December 2011, Purdue emailed the DEA the names of local L.A. doctors it believed were misprescribing OxyContin. Santiago. These ones were really obeying orders. Santiago, who was now in jail, was on the list. But that is also so messed up. I- no, now they're acting like they're doing the right thing when they've right. waited so too long. Right, so it's so sacrificial. They've already killed a bunch of people. Yeah. They've literally killed a bunch no, of and people. No, and then they're like, you're right, these doctors, they really, where did they get this? The DEA, co- the DEA called it, quote, old news. Because fake news wasn't around yet. Purdue officials did not go to authorities until years later when the drug ring was out of business and the leaders under indictment had... <laughs> Had 1.1 million pills go through the clinic. Oh, my God. Almost all were 80, 80 doses. Oh, my God. In places like Everett, the jail is We'd like to buy you some uh, dollar sign wallpaper for the office. 
In places like Everett, the jail was overflowing with addicts. The detox facility is set to double in size. The city now spends a fortune clearing its streets and parks of needles and plastic bags. Addicts burglarized homes, picked pockets, stole identities, robbed businesses, and prostituted themselves. OxyContin attracted people with no criminal records from stable homes, jobs, and families. After Purdue introduced hard to the hard-to-crush pill, many of them moved on to heroin. Dealers who had been selling heroin to the same small group of drug users for years suddenly had a booming new clientele. I don't know what's going on, but things are terrific. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. As one dealer from Everett said, quote, upper and middle class children. Today, heroin addiction is such a crisis in the county that more than 40 residents fatally overdose each year. The suit against Purdue aims to not only recoup costs, but help Everett finance its fight with opioid addiction in the future. From, two, from 1999 to 2010, the sale of prescription painkillers quadrupled. And from 1999 to 2010, the number of overdose deaths from prescription painkillers also nearly quadrupled. The U.S. accounts... For 5% of the world's population. Uh, it's, and, uh, the statistic is always horrible when it starts like that. The U.S. accounts for 5% of the world's population, but about 99% <gasps> of oxycodone use. Many years later, Dr. <laughs> Spanos, who made the video, now says he was trying to explain that some patients could take opioids and not turn into, quote, classic drug addicts. He now regrets if any doctors got the wrong message. Oh, I mean, honestly, that, that that's what I mean. The it, It's like you, you convince yourself, boy, I mean, I don't know why they went haywire yeah, with this shit. I, right I don't know where they got it from. Oh, yeah, me, but why'd they do it? Oh, I told them to, but how come it's bad? Oh, I knew before. <laughs> I'm out of questions. Of his seven patients in the videos, two are dead and were active opioid abusers when they died. Another became addicted, suffered greatly, and quit after realizing she was headed for an overdose. She, like, lost everything. Right. Three patients still say the drug helped them cope with their pain and improve the quality of life. And when I read up descriptions on all those people, they're still using the drug. They use it every day. They use it constantly. But they don't call themselves addicted. Uh, a seventh declined to answer questions. Now Spano says, quote, I'm only answering statements. Now Spano says, quote, I would hope that what was conveyed in the video is that there are patients in whom tolerance doesn't happen. And he also says it remains unknown how many patients will, quote, have a stellar response from taking opioids. <laughs> Instead of the 1% Spanos touted in the video, studies now show that upwards of 50% of patients taking opioids long-term for a medical condition begin to show signs and symptoms of addiction. Today, Purdue's owners, the Sackler family, has a fortune of around $14 billion, which is shared by about 20 family members. It ranks among the top 20 in the United States between two alcohol dynasties, the beer-making Bush family and the Brown family, which owns a majority stake, the producer of Jack Daniels and Finlandia Vodka. The Purdue's are richer than American dynasties, the Mellons and Rockefellers. The family name adorns a wing of the Metropolitan Museum of Art and several galleries in the British Museum. So, what now? Uh, well, what now? By 2016, there were nine fentanyl manufacturers in the United States. Fentanyl has been called an opioid on steroids. Well, we don't want a steropioid. It is so powerful that two milligrams, which is smaller than a pea, can be a fatal dose. Okay, so I mean, what this is? We're going big for the sequel. 
Fentanyl can come in patches, lozenges, tablets. Lozenges? And liquid. In 2011, only 3% of overdoses were due to fentanyl alone. In 2015... No. There were 9,580 deaths from a synthetic opioid other than methadone. Those are mostly fentanyl. That's three times as many deaths in 2013. In 2016, fentanyl caused 27% of overdose deaths when combined with other drugs. It was 70%. Meanwhile, heroin-related deaths plummeted from 28% to 3%. Within just five years, heroin and fentanyl have traded places. So we went from, I mean, it really just is the shell game. It, it, they, once they weren't, once the uh, Oxycontin wasn't enough and there was some legislation that came around that, that's when you switched to heroin. And now that you actually have a legal option again, you're able to drop heroin because they've made better heroin legal. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really just is so, uh, so you know, I mean, it, it's just, there are, there are 19 different things that are going on in our world now where you're just like, why, why does it have to be totally fucked? Why do so, all, the, all the big institutions are totally fucked? So fentanyl is, legit, like you hear about drugs that are scary. Fentanyl is terrifying because if you touch it, you can die. Oh, I'm sorry. What? It's like so, the ring. So I listen. So po- postal people, anybody, if it's on a package, there was a cop and he had done a bust, a, a fentanyl bust somewhere, and he was walking out of the police station, and like his sergeant said, "Hey, you got a little smudge on your thing," thinking it was dust or something. He touched his uniform. He he hit the little white spot. He woke up four days later in the hospital oh my in the God. ICU. It's fucking gnarly. How, how, how are they, how are they making drugs that you can't touch? Because you're supposed to put in. Because all we give a shit about is companies making right. money. Nobody oh. gives a fuck. And people sit here and say, the parties aren't different. Really? Because they're fucking killing people. They're yeah. literally killing human beings. Both of them together. Yeah. They're both doing it. Yes, on some shit they're I, worse, but both parties are fucking murdering honestly, our citizens. Honestly, at, at some murdering. point in the last like five or ten years, the Democrats have made more money off of pharmaceuticals. They make shitloads that's of their, money off That's, that's, their, their, that's their, their jam. Their that's their They're, you no. Know. The Democrats jam as far as yeah. pharmaceutical companies, and these deaths are on their fucking necks. Well, guess what? Capitalism for healthcare ain't fucking working. If you don't go to single payer, then just keep chalking up death. Because it's that, not. It's not just people getting sick and dying. This is part of it. And also think about like the what? I mean, the moment that we're in right now, where you're we're arguing about um, healthcare and what it should be, and because of the way the system has worked, you now have all these uh, opiate addicts, and now potentially there will be no care for them to figure out what how to handle oh, their it's, issues. It's or a what. fucking it's a rem, it's a remarkable if they roll this shit back, all of these people. There are there's going to be so many deaths. It's going to be astounding yeah. from from drugs. This is this is more people are dying from this than AIDS when AIDS was at its fucking peak. These are <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people are fucking dying. Cops now carry around that Narcon thing that can oh, revive yeah. people yeah. instantly. They just car- that's how fucked up our society is. They just carry around a drug to make people come back to life. It's true. It is. It is. It's like you know that. <laughs> It is crazy that they're like, we have a huge opioid uh, overdosing problem. 
What are we going to do? We're going to make a gun that'll bring people out of comas. <laughs> that'll do That'll do it. It's, it's, I didn't know it was as bad when I started reading this. It's no. super fucked up. Yeah. And the reason it's happening is because of our government is corrupt it, to the fucking core. The, and that's why people, yep. hundreds of thousands of people are dying. Because there's no way this shit should be legal, should be getting prescribed the way it is. Nope. It should only be going to terminal people and people with cancer. Nobody else should be fucking taking this shit. And fentanyl is insane. I mean, and how old is fentanyl? It's, it's pretty recent. I, I mean, it's I, been I, around never, for a while. They really it. started pushing it as of late. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, they, they are, it's just more sophisticated than what part one was. They've just figured out, I mean, yeah, it, truly the, it all ends and begins with the idea that all of our politicians are totally corrupted. Totally corrupt. Totally and so paid for. they're all totally corrupted. 90% of them are totally corrupted. They're never going to do things. They, they, I mean, they genuinely now look at the way to win is to have the most money and if you got to shake a few shady hands to get money for your campaign to keep going that's okay but then it completely ruins what your well, intentional what your initial effect that's was fine but you you're killing us you want to go get a sandwich yeah let's do it man i <laughs> fucking love meat i mean that it really is just oh my god uh, <laughs> uh we signed fentanyl <laughs> damn it Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun half hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there.